0: Hey, this is Julio. Hey, this is Steve. Before the podcast starts, we want to welcome and give you the opportunity to support our ministry by visiting our website at www.bridgeminlaredo.org. Scroll down to the bottom of any page and you'll find the PayPal donate button. Bridge Ministries exists to share the glorious good news of Jesus Christ and to equip people to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. If you would like to help us in our mission of making affordable or free Bibles and Christian books available and also to check out the orphanage that we support... Visit our website. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John fourteen six. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to Bridge Radio. It is January 4th. We're four days into 2018, and as I click this uh, record button to kick off this first podcast, it also kicks off season two of our uh, for the new year of podcasts. And I'm I'm super excited um, and just welcome onto the program. Please like share subscribe to your friends and family and um and also if you're listening on itunes please write a good review for the podcast we would greatly appreciate it um that allows us to just kind of boost up in rankings in the christian podcast world and so we would just greatly appreciate that um i am your host julio omar rodriguez i'm the voice of bridge radio And um, so I've got, I've actually contacted uh, former people we've had on the podcast and also some new people. I've contacted Jeff Durbin, um, Joel uh, McDermott, and uh, Gary DeMar again, uh, Michael Heiser as well, Gary Habermas. And so just be praying about that. We would love for them to come on. We know they're like extremely busy, some of these guys. And so, um, and we would just love to to have them on the podcast. So for the uh, month of January, We're going to be focusing on the five solas. And so today we're going to be talking about Sola Scriptura. And uh, each of the five solas, we actually have a guest who's going to be coming on and talking about it. So today we have a guest. I'll introduce him in just a moment. Um, Next week, we're going to be talking about Solo Fide and Solo Gratia with John Sampson. He is a pastor out of King's Church in Arizona. He's a writer for Monergism as well. Uh, He's come out on the dividing line, and you can also find some of his material um, actually, he wrote a book on the five solos that's uh, pretty well known, and he's also come out on Apologia Studios on their all-access content. Um, next week, uh, the following week, that is, we have Sola Christus and Pastor Chad McCartney, my senior pastor, great expositor of the Word, um, faithful, uh, just somebody who's taught me so much um, uh, when it comes to uh, theology, Reformed theology, and so he's going to be coming Along with us, he graduated with a Master's in Theology at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. And last but not least, June 30th, that will wrap up this series. We have uh, Solo de Gloria, and Douglas Wilson is going to be coming back on the program to talk with us, um, uh, just to wrap up the series about that last point. So, uh, nonetheless, I digress, and let's go ahead and jump into uh the first solo which is sola scriptura but before i just want to introduce our guest he has a master's of divinity out of liberty university he's a christian apologist out of long island and he's been with us on the program before uh eli elia thank you so much for coming on once more on the program man
1: uh, thank you for having me. It's actually Ayala. Ali- okay. <laughs> Ayala. Oh man. Elias Ayala. Don't worry about it. Ay- Everyone messes it up. Okay.
0: So. <laughs> I, I have a I have um a friend uh Anna uh, Yeah. So So what is okay. it again? Eli Eli Ayala. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll t- I try to get it right now. I didn't know that. That's My right. bad, man. Um it's all good. <laughs> so um yeah, so b- before we um we begin um you know, we, we me and Eli pray that um, you know these five solas, that the Holy Spirit would work and grant you uh, the understanding uh, of just the br- the beautiful truths um, of the the points of these five solas, and we just pray that uh, the Father would draw you to His Son. So let's go ahead and begin. I actually wrote up some uh, three points on reasons for why we should. Uh, um, you know, uh, study the five solas. So feel free to jump in, Aliyah, as I as I go through these three points, and then we could jump in a little bit more in depth and in detail uh, of the Reformation, etc. So uh, reason number one for uh, uh, understanding the five solas because the gospel is in constant attack by not only unbelievers but also for the very same people who claim to uphold it. Uh, for example. Uh, Christian universalism is a school of Christian theology that focuses around the doctrines of universal reconciliation, uh, and that is the view that all human beings will ultimately be restored to a right relationship with God regardless regardless of their denial of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so a study of the five souls will help us not only to give an apologetic to those who uh, to hold who hold to such a, a doctrine, but also give clarity um, for uh, based on God's word as to how we attain salvation. Uh, reason two. Um, Catholics and Protestants are two opposing religious systems. Uh, though we use Christianese language and terminology such as God, Jesus, uh, Church, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, uh, we also have sacraments as well like baptism we use symbols like the cross. Uh, both camps have major differences and um, Protestants must know these difference. So that's reason two. Reason three also sort of leans into that as well. Protestants must know that well, my bad. Protestant must know why they are Protestant. So, because uh, biblical and theologically theological literacy has dropped. Um, State of Theology was a research done by Ligonier, and they found that out. Good resource. I've used it here on the program as well. Uh, but this is due to many prof- uh, professing Protestants not knowing what the Bible says nor understand what they believe. This results in false doctrine, theology, and blind acceptance of worldviews and religion, uh, except for biblical Christianity. So those are sort of my three reasons. Um, Eli, I don't know if you have anything to say or add maybe a couple of other reasons or say something on top of that.
1: Uh, well, I mean, when I when I think about the uh, the five solas, uh, the best way to summarize them, I think, is focusing on the last, uh, which is soli deo gloria, mm-hmm. everything unto the glory of God, right? Glory mm-hmm. of God alone. It not only highlights um, that the work of salvation is all the work of God unto his glory, mm-hmm. um, but it also highlights the importance of all of the preceding souls. Mm-hmm. is that everything we do is for the glory of God. And so why is it important? Because it is a uh, they are stepping stones which allow us to understand things unto God's glory. I'm reminded of the Westminster Confession of Faith mm-hmm. when it answers the question, what is the, the sole purpose of man, but to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, our sole purpose in doing all things should be to glorify God, whether it's theological reflection, whether it's apologetics, evangelism, whatever the case may be, uh, these are important because they um, they really highlight the glory of God in yes. all things and brings us back to that focus, whereas, um, as you understand historically, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, um, of course, would never m- admit this, but was moving away <laughs> from a theology that honored God in the way that, that Scripture says uh, He should be honored.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, All right. So, yeah, let's go ahead and jump in. So I I think uh, in order for us to really understand the solos, they came from Protestants. So um, and we came out of the Reformation Protestants. And so I want to ask you the question, why did the Reformation happen? Sort of a little quick, brief history of the Reformation.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, it's important to understand that the Reformation didn't start in October 31st, 1517, mm-hmm. when Luther nailed his 95 theses uh, on the castle church in Wittenberg. Uh, there was uh, a lot of things going on uh, in the times preceding Luther that set Europe, uh, made Europe very ripe for uh, change. People already began to see uh, the various corruptions and, and um, you know, corruptions of the teachings of the church um, both in in doctrine and in practice, people were noticing these things, and so Martin Luther was one piece of the puzzle that was placed just at the right time. Of course, the technological development of the uh, the printing press mm-hmm. also contributed to the spread of his message. Yep. Um, and so uh, it happened not for for just one reason. You know, I, I teach um, social studies uh, at a Christian private school, and we talk about the causes of say the American Revolution or the causes mm-hmm. of say you know some some war or some event right and the reality is that there's not necessarily just one cause um, but a very important cause uh which some people call the material cause of the reformation was the issue of uh, justification by faith alone uh really the issue is how how are we saved and as luther explored this and um was um you know recognized the truth of this via his study of romans one seventeen, um we see that it now boils down to an issue of whose understanding Right. Romans one seventeen is correct, mm-hmm. and uh, who has the authority to expound Scripture, and mm-hmm. then you get right back to the the main issue, which is um, identified as what we call the formal cause mm-hmm. of the Reformation, which would be sola scriptura. Yes. So you have this. You have this primary focus of, of Martin Luther's journey, which dealt with this issue of justification by faith, and this was part of his spiritual and emotional struggle with his fear of the wrath of God and the holiness of God. Yes. Um, and then it gets down to that more foundation, foundational and fundamental issue of um, where does the authority reside in mm-hmm. uh, Scripture and church tradition or mm-hmm. Scripture alone? And so I think that when Martin Luther reflected on the fact that the Roman Catholic Church has often contradicted itself in its literature and its teachings and, of course, in its action. Mm-hmm. Uh, he saw that the best foundation uh, upon which the Christians should build their house is the strong foundation of the Word of God that does not err. It's infallible, it's inerrant, mm-hmm. and it is our only source of guidance and truth.
0: Yes. And what what I would like you to talk about, and for our listeners, is the um, the Catholic view of salvation and the Protestant view of salvation— because um, they do believe the Catholic Church believes that uh, the Scriptures do have authority. However, there is also tradition as well. Uh, can you kind of flesh that out for our listeners?
1: Yeah, it's not an issue that, that Catholics deny the authority of Scripture. but right. what, what I would argue that they deny is the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm. Right. Um, this is this is a very important uh, thing to understand that Scripture is the Word of God for the Roman Catholic, but. It needs this complementary element which comes in oral and uh, oral tradition. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's this tradition that expounds and further explains and expands upon the truths that are laid down in scripture. And so they would see these on equal footing. Uh-huh. Um, this is one of the key differences. A lot of people ask me, you know, what's the difference between Protestant Christianity and Roman Catholicism? Uh-huh. And um, most of the time you'll get the answer, well, you know, Protestants don't pray to saints, but Catholics do, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, Catholics believe in transubstantiation, but, but Protestants don't. And we can right. kind of wallow around in shallow water, kind of just splashing around, focusing on the non-essential differences. Um, but when you really get down to the nitty gritty to the foundational difference between Protestantism and Catholicism, it's really their sources of authority, mm-hmm. right? Um, We can talk about uh, transubstantiation. We can talk about the nature of the sacraments. We can talk about all sorts of things. Um, But really, it's an issue of where does the authority reside? Where does Rome get these other extra biblical traditions Mm -hmm. um, or teachings? It comes from their tradition, which Mm -hmm. they see as – being on the same level of scripture and yeah. so the protestant holds to scripture alone as their foundation and rome holds to scripture plus plus. and i think that's an important difference uh, between them
0: yeah scripture plus i have it here the catechism of the catholic church uh, notes the church quote the church to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation is entrusted does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the holy scriptures alone and that's very mm-hmm. key. Both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments and devotion and reverence. That's uh, eighty-two, number eighty-two out of the, uh, the the catechism of the Catholic Church. So um, yeah, so that just kind of uh, verifies what Eli was 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 talking about. Um, you have anything to add on that?
1: Well, uh, of course, uh, another uh, reason why the Reformation spread. Um, can you kind of get the issue of the cause of the Reformation and then the yes. cause of the, of the, the rapid spread uh, is the translation of the Bible into, yeah. um, into the common uh, tongue of the people. And so you have um, the translation um, of the Bible going on in Germany with Luther's translation, or of course, tra- various translations spreading all throughout uh, Europe, giving – People access to something that they didn't have before, which is uh, just the ability to read the Word of God for themselves. Yes. Um. And so that contributes to confirming many of what of what the reformers were teaching, as opposed to what they've been taught um, traditionally by by Roman Catholicism.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I was just reading, speaking on the translation of the text. I think it really goes, um, it's indicative of how the Reformers, just them wanting to translate into, uh, like Martin Luther into German, uh, how they mm-hmm. saw the Word of God. And so I was reading William Tyndale and how he was declined multiple times to, to to translate the Bible. I mean, the guy read and wrote in so many different languages, and so he wanted to translate into English. And um, he did the New Testament, but he was burned at the stake And, um, and he, he, he was totally, uh, believed in Sola Scriptura. So he was a, he was a reformer. Uh,
1: and I think, I think also too, an important thing to recognize is, um, this desire to go back to the sources, right? Mm -hmm. When we, you you come, you come to the time of the Renaissance, you already have this, this Spirit of the questioning of authority, and so mm-hmm. people begin to question all sorts of authority, whether it's political and, of course, religious authority. And so there's this this need and this interest to go back into uh, what the original sources said. And so you right. have uh, the issue of Martin Luther uh, looking and studying the Book of Romans and and really under- reading it in Latin mm-hmm. and seeing uh, the very in- interesting um, implications of the Latin translation of the word justification, and then getting back to the uh, the Greek of that word, and kind right. of that, allowing that to change his perspective, mm. um, you know, getting back to the original language with which the the New Testament was written kind of gave him that understanding that was missing due to his, uh, his exposure to the Latin. So, th- you know, one of the other reasons that kind of uh, empowered the Reformation was this idea of going back to the sources mm-hmm. and trying to recapture um, that first century Christianity. Um, that we read about in in Scripture that's so vibrant and powerful as they expound on the Word of God and apply it to every area of life.
0: Yes, yes. All right, so um, with that said, uh, Eli, what does Sola Scriptura mean, and what was the message the Reformers were trying to get across? We kind of touched on it a little bit, but maybe we just emphasize yeah. it, maybe you could get, get a little bit more in depth of it.
1: Uh, the teaching of sola scriptura is that the Bible alone has the authority to bind the conscience of the believers. Mm-hmm. Why? Right? It's an issue of why. It's not just that the Bible alone has the authority to bind our conscience, our consciences, but it is also reflective upon the nature of Scripture itself. It is mm-hmm. because of the nature of Scripture that it has the authority that it has to bind our conscience, our consciences, yes. because it is the Word of God. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always reminded of. Uh, I believe uh, I think it's the hmm, I don't remember the scripture reference but but um when God swears an oath he swears by himself because mm-hmm. there is no higher authority uh, yes. than he is he is the ultimate authority and so if he is the ultimate authority, and he has inspired Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, mm-hmm. then therefore the Scriptures hold the very authority of God, and hence there's nothing that goes beyond Scripture or behind Scripture that's more fundamental than Scripture itself. Mm-hmm. And so when we say Scripture alone is, is uh, you know, the Bible alone has the authority to bind, uh, it has that authority because of whose word it is.
0: Yes. I agree, I completely agree. So let's go let's talk a little bit about um the inspiration of scriptures. How about you go ahead and uh, talk about that a little bit for our listeners, the inspiration of scriptures. I know sometimes people could get a little a little tripped up about what that really entails. <laughs>
1: sure. Well, you generally get that that concept well, it's all throughout scripture, but we get mm-hmm. that concept the key verse that pops up is 2 Timothy 3:16. Yes. Uh, which says all, all scripture is is God-breathed and is useful for teaching uh rebuking correcting training and righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work that word god breathed uh, in the greek Theonistos, uh, gives this impression that that the source of the word i mean the words are written by man but it is breathed out by god they're writing precisely what god wants to convey mm-hmm. uh, to his people and so in that sense we believe that the scripture is inspired the words are the words of men but the source and purpose uh, is God's, and so in the writings of Scripture we have precisely what God wants His people to uh, to know.
0: Yes, it is Theonustas, which is God uh, God breathed. And uh, another another because I've 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 heard this objection before. Um, whenever that they're talking about all the Scriptures, that they were merely talking about the Old Testament. Uh, however. Um, the peter uh, Peter does refer to the Apostle Paul as his writings as being scripture can you could you talk about that for a moment
1: uh well yeah I mean uh I believe it's uh what is it second Peter yes um, yeah yeah, yes. yeah its second, uh, Pe- second peter, peter 121 yeah he calls the writings of Paul you know he says that they're difficult to understand but untaught men twist it right to their own devices but right. um but he says they, they do this just as they do with other scripture and mm-hmm. so we have uh, Peter, who is an apostle of Christ, right? We we know that he is writing authoritatively because who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know his relationship with Christ and his important role as um, uh, someone who will carry the, the gospel message after Christ along with the other apostles. Right. And we have uh, Peter calling the writings of Paul mm-hmm. Scripture. And so we know that all of the Old Testament is inspired, but then we have this notion that you know the new testament is inspired as well most of the new testament is written by paul mm-hmm. um and so um uh, again the, the argument that say either it's only referring to the old testament that may be true in that passage for example second timothy 316 sure yeah. you know the assumption there is is old testament uh, mm-hmm. but we know from peter that you know the writings of paul are, is also considered scripture so um you can't just derive it's only the Old Testament, just from Second Peter three. I'm sorry, Second Timothy three sixteen, mm-hmm. because other portions of the New Testament also confirm other other writings as right. scripture as well. Yeah, yeah, that's, no, that, that's, yeah. no, that's yeah. why it's that's... important. So we interpret scripture in light of scripture. We don't just take segments and then draw. You know large uh conclusions without considering what all the scripture has to say
0: yeah that, that's that's a good point because multiple times in the gospels uh, and, and even in paul's writings um they're quoting from the old testament into the new testament and so you could you could say that they believed in sola scriptura as well <laughs>
1: uh, uh yeah i i think it's important too because a lot of people ask you know where in the bible does it teach sola scriptura mm-hmm. and uh the answer to that question is not as black and white as as one might think right there is no there is no proof text for sola scriptura right right I mean, uh it, it really the answer to the question that you know where does it teach it it really is when you reflect upon how jesus saw scripture how the apostles used scripture and yes. when we reflect upon the nature of scripture itself mm. when yes. we take those things into consideration then we can make a strong argument of course using specific text to confirm that uh, mm-hmm. but there's not this, you know, silver bullet text that like this is the one that teaches this one doctrine. Uh we need to kind of go a little deeper and and do some reflection to kind of iron that out. But it definitely is um something that is supported and taught in scripture.
0: All right. Great, great stuff, man. Um so okay, so now we got the inspiration, right? We talked a little about that. Um, common objections, right? whether uh, there's contradictions, um, you know, it's it isn't inerrant. But um the reformers held to its Inerrancy, its infallibility, and so mm-hmm. let's uh, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, well, actually, what, I would say what is in inerrant, or actually, you start off where you want. Um, I guess what I would rephrase the question is, um, um, you know, what is inerrancy and what is infallibility, and just how does that okay. apply to the Bible?
1: Yeah, well, we want to we want to get the correct logical order. I I would not say inerrancy and infallibility. I would say infallibility and inerrancy because okay. inerrancy is a byproduct of infallibility. Okay. To be infallible is to not be able. It, it there is no uh, possibility that uh, that something infallible can have error in it. Okay. So when we talk about um, you know, the concept of infallibility, there can be no error, mm-hmm. whereas when we speak about inerrancy, it is to mean that there is no error. So they're very close in uh, – they're, they're close in their meaning. Infallibility says there can be no error. Inerrancy is to make the statement that there is no error. So for example, mm-hmm. inerrancy is a byproduct of infallibility but not necessarily the other way around. I could write an inerrant book without any um, mistakes in it. Mm -hmm. By definition, if it has no errors, it's inerrant. But that doesn't mean that something that I would write would be infallible because I am able to make error in principle. Yes. Uh, So I would say that that's an important um, distinction to make that because God is perfect and God cannot err and God inspires scripture, therefore scripture cannot err, right? Mm -hmm. Because God is infallible, then his word would be. Inerrant. Yes. That is a byproduct of infallibility.
0: Right. I, I was listening to a Ligonier podcast, well, Renewing Your Mind. I recommend everybody go listen to that. But uh, there was somebody who was talking about R C. Sproul. He just passed away, man. I was I was kinda heartbroken when I heard that news. Yeah. Um but anyway, uh, one of somebody who was uh Disciple of his, someone who, who went to his church's congregation, he said, um, R.C. Sproul told him, Well, how about you? If you could find a contradiction in the Bible and you could prove it to me, then I'll quit my, my job or something like that. And, uh, and so, and this guy was studying the Bible and he could not find a contradiction. And even when he thought he could, he found a contradiction. He went to Sproul and Sproul disproved it. Um, so with that said, man, is is there any sort of um, contradictions that you could think at the top of your head that many people think of, and really when you just look a little bit more into it, um, you know it, it, it's not a contradiction at all. Um, well,
1: all you need to do is look on an atheist website and <laughs> right, you know, type type in you know, a list of Bible contradictions, and yes. those are all the things that people use. You know those that those are examples of people that. Uh, I'm sorry there are examples of apparent contradictions apparent that are not contradictions. Yes. What I like to do when people say there are contradictions in the Bible, my first response is not to say no there isn't. Mm-hmm. Um I think the very important thing is definition of terms and setting standards in our discussions. And so when someone says there's a contradiction in the Bible, my first my first question to them is Uh, What is a contradiction? Uh Let's define our terms, okay? And so this contradiction is the second law of logic. There are three of them, right? Uh The law of identity, something is what it is and it's not what it's not. The law of non-contradiction, a a statement cannot be both true and false at the same time and in the same way. And the law Uh of excluded middle, a statement is either true or false. Now, when we understand the second law as being a statement cannot be both true and false at the same time Uh and in the same sense – When we establish that definition, Hmm. then we take the apparent contradictory scriptures and we run them through that second law. Hmm. Uh, And if you show that there's a contradiction, you know, this statement cannot be true at the same time, you still haven't proven your point because you have to prove that it is in the same sense as well, Hmm. you see? Uh, So there can be a state there can be statements in Scripture that on the face of it are contradictory.
0: Correct. But it
1: is the case that those Scriptures are being used in a different sense. And we need to allow the authors of Scripture to to write the way that they write and understand and let them speak for themselves. Um, You know, there is a sense in which something can both be true and false um, and there are senses in which they cannot. Right. Um, And so you need to define your terms and then run those apparent contradictions through, um, you know, that second law. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's even another issue here is that everything that we do Mm -hmm. is based upon, um, it is based upon our presuppositions and our worldview. Yes. And so, um, even before I get into contradictions, because you can get a list of hundreds of apparent contradictions, you will be there forever. Um, I like to to deal with the unbeliever who's bringing the criticism. I'd like to deal with them at the worldview level. Mm -hmm. Um, what are the necessary preconditions for us to even utilize logic, and yeah. I would actually argue that it is the biblical worldview itself mm-hmm. that provides the foundation for the utilization of logic, and hence gives us the ability to even look at what a contradiction is and have a worldview in which contradictions make sense.
0: Amen. Uh, oh.
1: In holding, so um, there are different ways we can we can go about it. Um, that's kind of the way I, I like to go about it.
0: Hmm. That's good stuff, man. That's a little bit, a little bit of presuppositional apologetics. So we're gonna get to that a little bit at the end here. Um, but uh, to the to the to the last points I have here, just for you to talk about, is the authority of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, how is it authoritative, and how is it sufficient? <laughs>
1: You want the quick answer, the quick answer or the long answer?
0: <laughs> Yo, you, you take as much time as you want, man. <laughs> all right, all right.
1: Well, the quick answer is it's authoritative because it's God's word.
0: Amen. Yeah. I mean, by,
1: by definition, God is the ultimate, right? Mm-hmm. Everything in existence has the objective meaning that it does mm-hmm. because of the one who created it. You see, if there is no right. God, then nothing has objective meaning. Everything that that we uh, assign meaning to is subjective if, if there is no ultimate source. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, you know, you ask, you know, Greg Bonson, um, you know, um, the, the late Greg Bonson, I think he died in 1995, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he often talked about um, cows. He says, what is a cow? <laughs> um, and we can define what a cow is. And eventually we're going to either enter into an infinite regress of explanations or we're going to have to stop at an ultimate foundation mm. so that even when we talk about cows or ducks or birds or animals, right. our foundation will eventually have to stop. For the Christian, because everything is created by God, our, our definition of a cow will ultimately be grounded in God's creation and his mm. intention and definition of what these creatures would be or anything for that matter. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, God having the authority that he has – he gives meaning to everything that we see, including ourselves, Amen. right? God is the ultimate authority. He is the explanatory ultimate upon which we cannot peer beyond, beyond him because there is nothing else higher in, in authority. There is nothing else more fundamental than, than he is. Amen. Yeah. And so because the word of God is his word. Um, it comes with that authority. That's why when we engage in, say, for example, presuppositional apologetics, mm-hmm. our starting point is the triune God of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there is nothing more fundamental. Well, prove to me that the triune God exists. Yeah. Well, I can't do that. To, I can't do that in the sense that I have to appeal to something more fundamental than he and then try to, eva- you know, um, validate mm-hmm. him by using some external source. He is the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. And so I start with him because he gives meaning to all things. And so uh, when I say that scripture is authoritative, I really am getting at the idea that it is authoritative because of what it is and who it comes from. Yes. Um, so that's kind of my long explanation for that. And I think that's a very important thing uh, to understand because we all have authorities. Right. yes oh yeah um, we all we all have authorities and we take them uh you know as foundational whether it's the bible for the christian whether it's uh, a particular version of reason or rationality whether uh-huh. it's uh you know epistemological considerations yeah whatever the case may be we all have our bible so to speak um and i think that's important to recognize
0: yes yes and the sufficiency the sh- the <laughs> sufficiency of scripture <laughs>
1: Yeah, the sufficiency of Scripture, I mean, 2 Peter 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is God-breathed and is mm-hmm. use, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Mm. If the Word of God is such that it thoroughly equips us for every good work, mm-hmm. then it's sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. If we need an external source to give us other things that contribute to our equipping, then it seems that the Scripture here is wrong, and it's not equipping us, or does Mm -hmm. not provide the proper equipping for every good work. Yes. And so I think that the Scripture here, at this point, it teaches its own self-sufficiency, because everything that is necessary to please God, the Bible uh, arms us with. Yes. Um, And uh, I think that's, that's... a clear implication from the scripture,
0: right? Uh, another thing that I wanted to point back to, and I wanted you to talk about this, Eli, is the tradition. Um, Protestants don't look at tradition as being bad. Correct. Um, we we um, we see our traditions need to be. Um, uh, need to be, uh, how do I say it? It, it needs to be uh, with the scriptures. So, the, the, we, the, our traditions must be subservient to the scriptures. And uh, if you could go ahead and talk, talk about that, if, if you'd like.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the New Testament has a lot to say about tradition, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. We, uh, and because the scriptures themselves talk of tradition as both good and bad, Right. we need to emphasize the goodness of tradition, but mm-hmm. at the same time acknowledge where we can go sour in regards to tradition. I mean, right. oftentimes the Pharisees were acting in accordance with their traditions and, and Jesus, what happens? He reprimands them. Yeah. Uh, why? Because they put their traditions over the word of God. And so what are we taught mm-hmm. in scripture? That tradition has value, mm-hmm. but that we are incorrect when we place our traditions over the teachings of the word of God. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, tradition is something that we should respect it's something that we should take as a blessing from God. It mm-hmm. is a great uh, a great blessing that we can appeal to the writings of the early church father and get a glimpse as to the shape and structure of the early church and what people believe. Um, it helps us to validate certain doctrines that we believe as well, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and we do not deny that at all. Yeah. Um, however, you know, as helpful as it is, we always want to appeal to our ultimate standard. You yes. see, tradition is a standard. Mm-hmm. I, I use tradition. If you, if you come up with a novel teaching that goes against everything that the churches believe, that my warning signs go up. Right. You know, tradition is a standard. I mean, look look how we've understood the Trinity, and you're now you're telling me that there is no Trinity. You see mm-hmm. you know. I take tradition as standard, but there's a difference between standards and ultimate standards. Eventually I'm gonna even have to run tradition through my ultimate standard, which is my foundation its the issue of my foundation. Right. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle himself, uh, his his teaching was tested by the Bereans. It didn't mm-hmm. matter if he was an apostle; they um, they they searched the scriptures daily yes. to see uh, if what he was teaching was true. Mm-hmm. And he was an and he was an apostle, and he even uh, was the tested. Apostle Paul himself. He was being tested, but mm-hmm. he also describes it as something good. Yeah, it was good that they were testing. Him. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think the Apostle Paul understood the recognition of testing all things. I mean, think about this. If the Bible teaches us to test all things, you know, to, to cling to what is good, right? Mm-hmm. How can we how can we test all things if we cannot test tradition?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, what comes first? Uh, you know, scripture or tradition, people say, well, tradition comes first and then it was written down later. Well, is that really the case? I mean, God has spoken, whether it's written, uh, whether it's written or spoken and his word when spoken becomes the standard. Uh-huh. And so everything that we write has to, you know, line up with with God's word. We know that God inspired um, the writers of both the Old and New Testament, right? Everything that we speak and hold on to throughout history uh-huh. validates itself through scripture, and if it does not, then it's cast aside, right? We don't we don't take it as fundamental. Uh-huh. Uh, the apostle Paul tells us um, about the importance of standing in christ and in the wisdom of god as opposed to the wisdom of man there's this distinction in the writings of paul Mm -hmm. between the wisdom of god and the wisdom of man and the wisdom of man is where this traditions these traditions can come from not all of them are bad but you have a non a non-sure foundation when your when your security is resting upon uh you know man's reasoning and man's wisdom Mm -hmm. but what do we get in regards to scripture Right. What Jesus says that the one who 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 uh, uh, builds a house on the rock. Right. The word of God is our sure rock foundation. It's immovable. Mm -hmm. It comes from an infallible God. It's inerrant. Um, When we know that men contradict themselves, why would we make man who is not infallible a source of ultimate authority? Right. You see, now you run into a problem. The Roman Catholic will say, well, wait a minute. But the scriptures teach that tradition is authoritative. Really? It does. Well, which scriptures will you appeal to? Uh You see, many times they appeal to 2 Thessalonians, where Paul says to hold on to to the traditions, whether it's written or, you know, whether it's uh, it's spoken. The problem with that is that we're told in 2 Timothy 3.16 that scripture is inspired. Mm. we are not told that tradition is inspired, inspired yeah. even though paul says to hold on to the tradition mm. i say amen when he says hold on to the tradition right. but to hold on to the tradition is not equivalent to calling it inspired
0: yes that's uh, a good that's a so great point we need to
1: make yeah we need to make that distinction and not let people get away with the fact that it's just merely quoted scripture you know cuz i we already affirm mm-hmm. tradition is good yes. it can be good um but um you know we need to be able to make those proper distinctions and not let People who um, are trying to put tradition at the same level, same level of scripture, mm-hmm. not to let their arguments prove more than the, than it actually does. We mm-hmm. need we need to challenge their their assumptions there.
0: Yeah. All right. So last question, man. You're an apologist. Um, how does your view of scripture affect the methodology of apologetics?
1: Well, it doesn't just affect it, it defines it, right? Mm. Um, for yep. example, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we're told to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, always being ready to give a reason for the hope that's in us. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of apologists and a lot of books and apologetics always uh, emphasize uh, the importance of always being ready. Yes. And they do this to the neglect of the first portion of the verse, which is to set Saints. apart Christ as Lord in our Amen. hearts. Yeah. And so if th- if this is the... the the battle cry of christian apologetics how can we always be ready if we don't first start setting christ apart as lord in our hearts Mm. and so jesus christ needs to sit on the throne of our hearts and mind and dictate our very method of argumentation and as we look through the new testament and the old testament we see that um christ is the foundation um, of of knowledge, uh-huh. uh, Colossians two three for in Christ is hidden all the wisdom, uh, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh-huh. Uh, Proverbs one seven we said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh-huh. We start with God. We do not lay down our weapons, adopt the assumptions of the unbeliever to please his intellect. Uh-huh. We stand on the shore, the sure word of God. We do as 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 Cornelius Van Til and Greg Bonson taught. We begin to push the antithesis, those fundamental differences between our worldview and the worldview of the unbeliever, mm. and we show, and I believe this is the proper way to do it, we show that without the Christian revelation found in Scripture, yeah. uh, you couldn't make sense out of anything at all. And that's why Paul says, where is the, the debater? Where is the philosopher? Where Where is the, the those who are the wise in, in regards to the, to the world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Mm. And so we stand on the wisdom of Christ. The wisdom of Christ is defined for us in Scripture, yes. and we stand on that immovable foundation.
0: Yeah. Amen. How about um, you talk about a little bit about Greg Bonson? You're an apologist, just to recommend to some of our listeners. I mean, if if you want to learn apologetics and also um, understand the authority of Scripture and and get a little bit more into what we're talking about today, I think the best person to go to is uh, is is Greg Bonson.
1: <laughs> I agree. Yeah, his book, his book, Always Ready. Yes, Directions for Defending the Faith is the best introductory. Um, You know, uh, entry there to get into that topic. It's just the chapters are short, but he touches on 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 every aspect of uh, the presuppositional method, of course, Mm -hmm. defending it from Scripture itself. Um, And of course, another book I highly recommend. And I'm not joking when I say this. One of the most Mm -hmm. important books in apologetics that everyone needs to read is the bible itself oh wow and and i (laughs) and i am not and i'm not being sarcastic here like oh well of course he's gonna Mm. say that right yeah yeah um it is and i find myself fall into this trap that i I find myself reading so many books about the bible so many books about apologetics Mm. that i find that i am neglecting my own personal study of the scriptures themselves Mm. and Mm. i think when we master the word of God and we master the principles of wisdom therein, we become better thinkers, we become better debaters, mm. and we become better Christians because we do both of those things in right. a way that is also honoring to God, not with the cavalier spirit that we see in many of the apologetics books today and many people that we see on YouTube, uh, mm. you know, in a street evangelism and things like that. So the Bible right. and, of course, apologetics books that emphasize the importance and authority of the Bible in the entire process.
0: Good. Good stuff, my man. Um, yeah, the two other books that I highly recommend are "Why We Are Protestants" by Nate uh, Pickowitz and R.C. Sproul's "What Is Reform Theology." You guys could pick up a copy of that, and you could actually pick up a copy of a Bible as well here. <laughs> and uh, well, don't
1: forget, don't forget the Roman Catholic controversy by Dr. James White. I think that's a great oh, book yeah. that people are interested. In. In Roman Catholicism.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, also, the the King James Only controversy. If you have other books to recommend, feel free, man. There's a bunch of great ones out there.
1: Yeah, uh, and Mike Robinson. You guys should look up Mike Robinson. And okay. He uh, is, writes a lot of presuppositional apologetics uh, as it applies to Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, mm. how to use it against Mormons, mm. Muslims, and they're very short books and at a very popular level. Um, you can look at those on the Kindle on the Amazon store. So Mike Robinson.
0: Right. righty. Well, Eli, thank you so much for coming back on the program. We will definitely have you back sometime in the year, maybe to do a full blown, um, review of a debate or, um, I don't know, maybe talk about presuppositional apologetics or something. So, but again, man, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this, uh, Sola Scriptura with us.
1: Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. All right, guys. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast. Thank you so much. Um, be on the lookout for the next podcast. And uh, um, please visit our website as well. We have a Donate tab. It's a, the About and Support tab. Um, uh, you could go to Um If you scroll down right there on the bar or in the main page, you'll see About slash Support. Click on it, and uh, you could give a donation Uh, to Bridge Ministries and this helps us tremendously to do a podcast just like this and bring on guests and possibly bring a conference to our community that we're planning to hold and Eli is actually going to be a part of it so (laughs) um, but anyway guys love your neighbor as you love yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart mind strength and soul and we'll see you on the next one thank you very much